0: Hello and welcome. You are listening to Perfect City, a podcast where each episode we discuss a different city called Perth. I am Efka and with me today,
1: Elaine. Did you know, Efka that I'm actually a descendant of the founder of Perth?
0: Did, are you really? Yeah. You're winding me up right now. P-
1: Perth, a small, very, very small hamlet uh, just outside of Slough.
0: Oh, really? There's I didn't know there's a there's a third Perth. Yeah. Wow, that's, I, I went in with this as a, you know, our regular joke, you know, we make up a podcast and, and we start with I, that. I'm
1: actually a, a like lady of the land.
0: <laughs> no, okay, you're definitely winding I, me up now.
1: I do, though, own a bit of the moon.
0: Did oh, I, I ever tell you, you that? Yeah, you did tell me about so that. So I
1: own like a kilometre square of the moon. I have like the, the certificate to prove it. I might name it Perth.
0: I'm, I'm not sure those are entirely legal. Have you, have you looked into them maybe being a scam?
1: <laughs> I bought it from W H Smith, so it can't be a scam.
0: Oh yeah, because everyone can t- trust W H Smiths. Indeed. Yeah, this is indeed a podcast about board games rather than about Perth. Uh, and today we're going to be talking about a lot of exciting board games. But jokes aside, let's talk. A Why was that about... a joke? Well, because no, the, jo- the joke. We are part... talking
1: about good board games. That's not a joke. <laughs>
0: The joke part is that we're talking about Perth. Oh, this I see. This is going swimmingly. But we are actually going to talk a little bit about Perth.
1: Is there a board game based on uh, Australia, the the film?
0: The film Australia? Yeah. No, there, there is a board game called, called Australia, Australia yeah. by Martin Wallace, uh, which we played. Did you yes, play did. that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Did you yeah. hate it as much as I did?
1: Um. No, I don't think so.
0: Okay, okay. I, I, don't, I, I don't remember. I really immensely dislike it. I don't but,
1: remember it going on my, like... Never play again list.
0: We're not talking about Australia, the board game, because okay. because that's just... We, we're not. We, it's been too long ago. Okay. But um, we are... Welcome go- to the podcast in
1: 2004.
0: <laughs> uh, we are going to talk a little bit about Perth, because we went to Perth, not the one in Australia. The better
1: uh, one that's in Scotland.
0: Wow, those are fighting words. I'm, a, um, I'm, I'm proud we're, of... We're, we're they gonna- have
1: Tunnock's caramel waffles, so... Uh, We're going to get some
0: uh, complaint letters from (laughs) Ian O'Toole, who lives in Perth. By the way, that's true. Famous board game artist.
1: I'm sure Perth is lovely, but do they have tea cakes and iron brew? I don't know. So in my head, Perth in Scotland is automatically better.
0: We went to Perth because we went to a little convention called Tabletop Scotland. Big name, Mm. small stature.
1: Mm. Uh, But but big personality. Big personality, yeah, Yeah.
0: definitely. Uh, Because the convention is actually. In a leisure centre, in an ice skating ring, like but they, actually, they melt the ice though. I was a right? little disappointed. I was hoping for. <laughs> yeah.
1: I said that to you, like yeah. when we found out it was in an ice skating ring, I was like, "Do we like we have to wear skates and all the all the tables on like special, specially made ice skates for the tables?" You were like, "No, don't be a div."
0: Um, but we did get to play a game of Blood on the Clock Tower. Yes, we did in a locker room of a leisure centre, and and people thought that maybe i was like a gym coach or something yeah. because i was i was running the game i, I was mean the it master, also grandma it didn't master. help
1: that you kept going Whoo! every couple of seconds like a gym coach so. i
0: absolutely did not do that okay yeah that is a lie retract your words <laughs> uh no we are going to be talking about board games we didn't want to mention tabletop scotland because hey mm. we had a good time. Um it, it was a comparatively small convention. It yeah. was, uh, what, a, they said about a thousand people or something in yeah.
1: that game? I thought it was more than that. Maybe sure. a little yeah, bit maybe. more,
0: yeah. So, so, not entirely small. Um, maybe
1: a thousand unique, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, but it's
0: definitely one of those conventions that, that started recently, still finding its feet, but had a good crowd, good audience, and we had a pretty good time with
1: it. I mean, it's difficult to find your feet when you're on ice, right?
0: Ah, I Sorry. see what you did there. Everyone's <laughs> laughing. No, they're not. They're really not. <laughs> but we did manage to play some interesting board games yeah. uh, it's been a while since we've done a podcast actually and mm. uh, there's, there's been a lot of changes a lot of transitions and we uh, this is so funny like we had this Kickstarter in spring you know to you yeah. know Kickstarter channel and everything feels like it's almost about to culminate and there's another thing and another thing and another thing and some of these are self-wrought so for example uh, viewers and and followers on Twitter or whatever might have noticed we now have a puppy which is a big responsibility It's taking up a lot of your time. And you going part-time, which you are now officially part-time, with no pun included. Everyone say congratulations. Uh, That's caused a cavalcade, a cascade? No, a cascade at your job where things are... Well, no, it hasn't. Has it It, not? I feel like it it has. It's it's been progressively hard for you, I think. uh, But yeah, we're trying to get back on track. Hopefully, we'll get back on track soon. We've got some exciting projects that... We're not going to talk about it just yet, but let's just say we've just, we just started on a video project. It's not going to see the light of day for, I think, a long while because it's going to take us ever such a long time to actually finish it. Mm. But we're in no rush because I don't think anyone's done anything quite as stupendous as this before. Yeah. And it does involve us returning to a game that we have previously reviewed is it
1: australia we've never reviewed yeah we've never reviewed australia cutting too quickly yeah the thing about me going part-time is that like when we had the kickstarter like i had it in my mind okay right i'm going part-time now this is like we have the kickstarter and then i'm going part-time and but logistically actually it's it's taken far longer than i hoped um that it would but it's happening now so and even
0: when it has there's a transitional period you're suddenly you're faced with like oh i am doing this now how does this work you know there's there's a lot of stuff <laughs> right. that you need to work out plus actually. Uh,
1: i'm i'm uh, like i've always worked in a library since i was you know 16 on and off and i am horribly institutionalized by how how i work at the library so every hour is timetabled or like i have this this and this to do and this is when your lunch is this is when your break is blah blah Mm -hmm. blah and i yeah i need to get used to working working at home yeah it's a new experience yeah Yeah. completely Mm. completely
0: okay the board games we are going to be talking about today Mm -hmm. are qe which is an interesting little auction game that we've both played Mm -hmm. and uh, this is exciting for me because I think QE is very interesting and you hate auction games. So that's cool. I do. Uh, I, I hate blind auctions. Watergate, which we are about to do a review mm-hmm. of. Black Angel, which is the Eurogame darling on many reviewers lists. And we might have some controversial opinions. Adventure Games The Dungeon, which is the follow up from Cosmos to Exit, which we both love. And finally, Elaine, you haven't played this one. I'm excited Mm. to tell you about Rurik, Dawn of Kiev, Mm. which follows in the footsteps of such games as Inish, Kemet, or perhaps even Scythe. Wow. I know.
1: I cannot wait.
0: Big shoes to fill. Uh, Like
1: clown shoes.
0: Shall we talk about Rurik, Dawn of Kiev? Because uh, you said you cannot wait. But what if I told you, Elaine, Mm. that this was... uh, People on a map game, you know, so you recruit soldiers, uh-huh. you put them in various uh-huh. locations, then you, you fight each other and try and contest territories and score points. Mm-hmm. But the way you do things is via an auction.
1: Dun, dun, dun. Okay.
0: <laughs> you don't just... look excited. Again, <laughs> <laughs> auction. Yeah. Uh, well, Okay. So, this is not entirely true. It's actually not an auction. It's more like bidding, right? So, the difference in Rurik Dawn of Kiev is that, uh, well, first of all, it's set in an actual historical setting. So, that's nice. It's set in the, well, Kiev or the Kievan Rus, right? Uh, In the dawn of the 10th century. And uh, you take control of uh, eight possible leaders in the game. And the way you actually do things in this game is via an action selection mechanism but to do those actions you have to actually bid on them so at the start of the game you'll be given a set of meeples right and those meeples are numbered one two uh four and five Mm -hmm. you have a free if you're playing with more players Mm -hmm. Uh, but the idea is that you have this board that's full of actions right so let's say and and they're kind of tiered right so there's four tiers to every action so let's say you want to recruit more units right Uh i which i think is called muster i'm not sure there's a muster action in the game
1: i mean that sounds right
0: yeah uh so let's say i would put a five meeple down right that means that at the moment because no one's put anything it's the highest possible value so it's going to do the best muster action and recruit the most troops i Uh think it's like free or something like Uh that so it's not based on the number the number just kind of determines your position right but if someone puts down a six, it's going to bump. But how
1: would you put down a six? But what? wait, because you said there was only up to
0: five. Indeed. Well <laughs> spotted. Um, so what you can do in this game, and this is really cool. So one, uh, one of the sort of only currencies in the game is money, right? And, oh, yeah, how, how innovative. <laughs> I know. Well, there's there's resources, but you use them for different things, right? Right, okay. Uh, so money, what you can do is you can... Um, you can up the value of your meeple when you're bidding and put down some coins on it. And for every coin, uh-huh. yeah, so you uh-huh. so you can put down a six if you take a five or even perhaps a four and put some more money on it. And so it's going to jump over you and bump the five down and suddenly the five isn't doing as, as good an action anymore. But right. wait, this isn't it. So here's the other cool thing, right? If, let's say, uh, my meeple is the lowest one, right? And I'm, I'm taking this action... Uh, you know, not last. I'm, I'm, I'm having it the worst. Right. right? Oh, I see. Right. Then that also determines initiative of the game. But if my action is the worst, it's going to resolve first. Uh huh. Right. So if I really, really want to make sure that I do something before anyone else, uh-huh. I could deliberately bid low. Right. And this creates a very interesting puzzle. And this bidding mechanism almost becomes. Like an action programming game, right? Where I, everyone bids. I do bits, enjoy bits, programming.
1: Bits. Yes, I enjoy yeah. saying the word programming. And then
0: you're suddenly like realizing that this is this is really interesting and really innovative. And and the cool thing about um, Rurik is that every action is super clean. You know, mm-hmm. so there's actions for recruiting more troops, uh, moving, uh, or for example, uh, drawing some bonus cards which let you. Do like sometimes even better versions of the actions that you're doing um, or getting getting the result that's better than y- uh-huh. you would if you did the action, if that makes sense. Or you can even fight and you can get really involved in that whole, oh, where should I bid? How much should I value it for? Do I really want to make sure I get the best possible action here? and um you know should i overpay with money to make sure that nobody outbids me
1: so I, that is where the puzzle comes in that is of, where the puzzle comes in because yeah.
0: like i said the, the, the actions themselves they're very clean so when yeah. you're moving you move exactly that many spaces and there's not like you know there's there's no rules for like oh i moved into an area with another person uh-huh, something happened uh-huh. there's none of that it's like root you know it's right. just move and it's done and It gets even more convoluted midway through the game when you're given an extra meeple. Mm. And then suddenly you're realizing that there's actually not enough space on this action board. Mm. And that if you don't bid at the right time, because you might want to save your secret best move up until the very last moment you can bid, Uh right? Because you're not tipping your hand, Uh right? So now you can't even do that so much because there are too many meeples and you might legitimately run out of space mm, in the action mm-hmm, that you want to take. Mm-hmm. So I found that part of the game incredibly interesting mm. and nothing else, sadly, mm. which is disappointing because it feels like Rurik Donovgiv is almost great. It's almost one of those you know people, people on a map games that is, you know, up there with the best, like Kemet and Inish. Yeah, sure, yeah. But I so think... So where did it fall down for you? Well, I, I think it fell down for everyone, where the problem is that when you're executing the next part, and I might be being slightly unfair, because um, when we say things like that, they might sound incredibly polarizing, right? Okay. But we got a sense that it became very rote, mm. as in we're just sort of executing the program right Mm. and it's sort of running itself and there's not not many interesting decisions within the scope of you know like well i'm going to do this action where am i going to do it how am i going to do it you know you know you just and it's so clean that you just sort of do the action
1: it it reminds me of championship manager Uh like where you're planning 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 yes but then you don't really see what happens you just get like a the points
0: that are scored well kind of yeah i guess i guess that's an interesting analogy i i the, so there is there is some excitement in Royal Oak because there's always like a lot of opportunities to score points, you know, mm-hmm. and and you're th- that's obviously what you're trying to do. And one of the ways you score points is by controlling resources. So like, if you're on an area, and you control that area, you can harvest the resources. And if you don't, it costs more.
1: No, it does sound interesting. Like the first part definitely sounds interesting. It sounds like it's not trying to trick you. Like you said, everything is, is very Mm. clean. So everything is clear what you what you want to do. And then it's your decision To solve that puzzle. And I like that. The
0: cleanliness is also part of the problem. Because I think one of the issues of the game is that they worked in the fighting action as part of all the other actions Mm. that you bid for. Whereas I think it should be a separate part of the game. Because what happens is a lot of the times other actions... Are not only more interesting than fighting because fighting is uh, basically uh, I want to attack, I'm going to attack, I have that many attack right, okay. points which let me attack that many times. As far as I- so, it's been actually I'm sorry, it's been a while since I played World of Kiev. Mm. It's been a month and I've only played it once, mm. and it didn't excite me enough to come back to it. Right, um, but as far as I remember, basically you attack and the attack happens and there's nothing that can stop that. But what can happen is. You draw a card from this deck, and it says, "Oh, your own unit dies." Right? Oh. And but that's that's okay. It's 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 just a little thing like, oh, well, you're finding this...
1: I would tear that card up.
0: <laughs> well, uh, it that happens would annoy free... me. No, do you know what? That that's actually a nice little exciting part of, of the fight. Is because it? You you get the reward. You know, there just might be a downside to you. Oh, fighting. so you still
1: get a good something yeah. good out of it? Okay, yeah. fine. You, okay, you, fine. you always
0: you always. Win the fight. When I you see. fight, you always win the fight. I you see. achieve what you want to achieve, right? Is that
1: exciting, though, if you if you know you're going to win the fight?
0: Yes and no. Uh-huh. You know, the part that you know you're going to win the fight becomes very rote and very deterministic. Uh-huh. But the part where, like, is there a downside to this? Is I there see. a consequence? Yeah. Because what often happens is, let's say there's a lot of units in one area from different opposing armies, uh-huh. and, you know, you, you want to you wanna instigate a fight and you want to win that fight, you'll usually try to get more... Combat points, you know, so you can attack multiple times because each time you attack, you only remove one figure. So the fight starts to sort of cascade, and you're trying to, um, you know, win multiple fights in a row without losing troops, so Mm. that you can keep fighting. But you
1: never know if you're gonna lose a tree. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay.
0: So that's where it gets interesting. But I feel like fighting didn't happen a lot, and maybe that's just something because you know we're not used to the game, and you know, uh, if if we. Play the game more and mm-hmm. you know experience it more maybe fights would be more crucial and and more interesting but I just didn't find oftentimes a reason to fight and did I say that as someone who won the game you know did you
1: find it thematic uh
0: very actually Good. for okay. uh, for a game that evoked uh and that's this is actually another reason why I was kind of sad that it didn't round out as well as uh-huh. I wanted it to because I thought the artwork was really well done. It It is in the style, in the historical style of what I would expect, you know? And mm-hmm. as someone who grew up in Eastern Europe, like, it feels very familiar. Okay. You know, if that makes sense. Even,
1: and, but not in the 10th century. You didn't grow up no, in the 10th century. No, well, no, but,
0: you know... Or did you? History has it has a tendency to echo through time and okay. then you find echoes of it and it's called culture i sorry that was incredibly spiky there i don't know why <laughs> i
1: know what yeah. what was that
0: all about it was like culture is uh, very
1: proud of uh, I, I i didn't finish that sentence is very proud of um um <laughs>
0: <laughs> um yeah no i i i thought it was nice that uh even though historically they couldn't find any... Uh, so you're all playing descendants of this one king. Yeah, okay. Right? And historically they couldn't find any records of names of uh, daughters of that king, right? Right. But they sort of uh, came up with names that would have been historically appropriate from the time and put mm-hmm. in female characters. you know,
1: which So I- are there people living in Kiev that are descendants of this king, but they don't know? Well, n- no. Because they never found the descendants.
0: I mean, potentially. That's who knows? Cool. Yeah, who knows? But yeah, the idea is that you're all vying for the throne, mm-hmm. if the died, you know, and and so the artwork is really nice, it's respectful, it is, uh, and the miniatures are, you know, not gratuitous or anything like that, and the whole production was really well thought out, you know, mm-hmm. I, I am a big... It I, looks I, nice,
1: I saw you playing it, and it looked interesting, I was, I was holding the, the dog at the time and trying to make sure she didn't wee on the rug, so I wasn't super involved but a
0: very important job uh, it was yeah, yeah.
1: but um we're, we're almost past that now i think yeah. but uh, it looked good yeah was well, interesting it looked like you were all having fun and all like engaged in your turn and engaged in other people's turn and what everyone else was doing and mm. uh, it looked like a good game
0: well the thing is i i'm also I'm, my biggest pet peeve is an incident that doesn't work because not only did you just make like a storage solution inside your box that makes all your bits fly around well you hey know? Uh, <laughs> but also you know you just wasted a lot of plastic and and what's the point of it you know you 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 spent money on putting something in in your game but yeah there's a nice plastic insert that stores everything really well and things don't fly out and I was genuinely like I think people who backed this on Kickstarter because mm. it's one of those games mm. that went on Kickstarter you know and that's why you have minis and it's look, looking a little bit overproduced and it has metal coins but well, that's fine because y- y- I think people who backed it are going to get a lovely box and a decent game yeah. that they're going to enjoy would I recommend go up for anyone to go out and buy it unless you're really bored with all the current options that you know people play like command cycle. Well, oh
1: you're really interested in that period in history
0: yeah potentially i then maybe maybe do go and try rurik don of kiev because i think it does have some depth i i just wish it wasn't as polished as it was and had a little bit of meat to it a little bit more meat to it elaine do you remember your time with a game called qe which stands for...
1: Quantitative easing.
0: Now, if those two words... Sounds like a words, James
1: Bond film, doesn't
0: it? I, oh, would you mean Quantum like of Quantum Solace? Sol- oh, that's it, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, if those two words don't yeah. get your loins on fire, then I don't know what will. Because, <laughs> because every time I, I said, do you want to play QE to my friends? And they were like, what's QE? And I would say, quantitative easing.
1: There is something about calling your game a different name from anything else that's ever been made. Like, if you call your game... Like quantitative easing, then no other game is going to have been called that.
0: No, that's
1: like sidereal confluence. It's you either are going to remember it forever, or you're going to forget it immediately for the first 150 times someone tries to remind you what it's called, and then you will remember it forever.
0: Well, the thing about sidereal confluence, (laughs) (laughs) couldn't even say it, is that it is as audacious as its name, Mm. right? Whereas quantitative easing is only as audacious in its concept, and I think that's where it falls down. I think you probably agree with me. I know I know you You feel like, you know, you're not the biggest fan of auction games, so you're not the target audience to begin with.
1: The thing that I don't like about auction games, mm. for anyone that doesn't know this already, is, that hasn't played an auction game with me, is that I never know how much to start bidding. If I have to start a bid and there's no kind of reference, I have no idea. So I'm either bidding like two bucks or... 2,000 bucks. And I always get it wrong. It's always far too low or far too high. But quantitative easing does kind of throw that out the window anyway. So
0: Well, yeah, I think it probably makes it 10 times worse for you because here's the pitch. You can bid any sum that you like.
1: But it wasn't that bad because they're all relative to sums that have already been bid. So you have got a reference.
0: Okay, let's explain a little bit of the big picture. right (laughs) Before we get into the details. So if you have played high society, you will find quantitative easing a little bit familiar because the concept is it's it's a pure auction game. You have tiles that mm-hmm. come out every round and those tiles have some points and some symbols and if at the end of the game you match up a bunch of symbols, you'll get extra points. So it's a set collection game and uh, every round people are going to bid a number for that tile and whoever has the highest number will win that tile and get to keep it. The trick is you can bid anything you like. So you can bid a buck, or you can bid... A
1: bazillion, a gillion... F- I don't know what bigger number than that is. It's fine. As but- long as
0: you can physically write it down uh, with a marker pen on an eraser board. Bill of like... is like euros or yeah. yen or whatever. But it's not...
1: Like it doesn't mean euros or yen. It's just yeah. currency. It's just yeah. that you're representing either... Europe or America or yeah, it's like your
0: your your thematically flavored player board, and that flavor is a certain country's currency. Yeah, Uh, and yeah, so you can write down any number. The trick is, every round there's one master auctioneer, so that master auctioneer will say, "Okay, well, the starting bid, let's say, is eight hundred, right?" So people got a frame of reference that if they want to win that tile, they have to bid higher than eight hundred. There's actually no point in bidding lower than 800 you might as well write zero if you write a zero you you will get two points once per mm. round it's as simple as that mm. so sometimes you want to bid nothing but if you have bid an amount that's higher uh, what you're going to do is you're going to pass your bid to the master auctioneer and the master auctioneer will examine everyone's bids in secret and they're not going to let everyone know how much people have bid they're just going to say This person has won. So you have no clue what people have written down. It could have been 801. It could have been 8,797. It's a complete mystery. But
1: Efka, why would you not just bid the highest amount every time?
0: Because, just like in high society, the person who spent the most money at the end of the game loses. And that is the trick and it kind of works in a different way than in high society because you're allowed to bid anything you like in Mm. high society you have like a limited number of currency, Mm. right you're holding cards with money in your hand and and you kind of have to work around that whereas here you're just free to write whatever you like but if you write something stupid you're going to lose right and actually i remember the first time when we played quantitative easing i think you were the first one to sort of break it because we were bidding around like 200 or 500 and then I think it was you that wrote 5,000. and Yes, I went, did.
1: Whoa. Yes, I did. Because, again, I never know quite how much to bid. And I thought, oh, everybody wants this particular tile. There was like two mm. people that really, really wanted that tile. And I was like, I'm going to put down this massive amount, right? Yeah. And then, of course, because they're smarter than I am, neither of them bid higher. Uh, So I ended up having to buy it because the the master auctioneer, if nobody bids higher than them, they get the tile, but they have to pay for it. So I ended up, you know, putting down 5,000 currency or whatever it was. And you
0: spent it. yeah yeah yeah. uh
1: and i consequently at the end of the game went horribly horribly bust
0: well it it wasn't going terribly for you for a while because (laughs) because that wasn't the only high bit that was high people started going higher after you did that because they knew they could afford to spend more money and that was the sort of self-fixing if you will which was interesting you know once you once you figured out oh okay so someone spent that stupid amount of money i can sort of let go a little bit and a yeah. bit higher than people did before. So that was... That, that was, was interesting. That it, was really interesting for it, me. It was an interesting part of the game. But if I'm honest, and, and I feel really bad in comparing this to High Society, but High Society is potentially the closest game to it. I like High Society a lot more than quantitative easing. And, and I think the part of the problem is the way the game works is it's incredibly obfuscated and nobody yeah. really knows what anyone bid. And I I think quantitative easing will be a fantastic game if you can find a group where everyone is equally involved in what's happening mm-hmm. and, you know, the mind games that everyone is playing mm-hmm. because it opens up a lot more space. Uh, high society is instantaneous. You flip a card, it's immediately either funny or tragic or, like, there's emotions, Right. And yeah. someone bids a stupid amount. There is an emo- there's an immediate response. Quantitative easing has none of that. Instead, it has moments of contemplation and silence. And like, I'm not sure what I'm doing, but maybe if I make this play, it will work out. And but
1: I I liked it as as someone that you know doesn't mm. get on with auction games very well. I liked it because almost because of what you're saying. Because yeah. like. I never felt stuck. Whereas in something like high society, you've got a, um, a certain deck of cards, a limited deck of cards, mm. right? And once you spent those, that's it. Like you're stuffed, right? Yeah. And what what you have at the end is what you have.
0: Whereas in this- Well, that's this, funny though, right?
1: Not for me. That's just stressful. <laughs> I just find that really stressful. Whereas in quantitative easing, like, oh, okay, well, I know I'm going to go bust. I know I'm going to lose, but I'm going to have fun doing it. Okay. yeah that's fair plus what i liked as well was that there were no negatives no yeah it's just
0: set collection and there's different so there's countries on tiles that you want to collect your own country and there's different parts of industry yeah yeah, so it's just different symbols and you want to collect a lot of one symbol but you also want to collect a set of each different symbol i
1: felt a lot more like i was playing with everyone else's brains than i do with high society
0: yeah and i i think that's the cool part of it but i think you really need people who are as involved because some people just bounce off of quantitative easing and go well, oh no this oh, is for sure yeah. this is too brainy sure. and too obfuscated well, it, and
1: too brainy and, and, might not be the right phrase but yeah i understand what you mean
0: yeah it's a gamey game there's there's yeah. there's, there's a lot of potential crunch that can develop because of what people do mm. and it has that really open play space but I think the problem with open play spaces is you have to have a design so tight that people don't get lost in it. And I think it's very easy to get lost in quantitative Quantitative easing. easing. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, So I don't begrudge anyone who finds this game very interesting. And I, yeah, I I, I think the design achieves something that hasn't been done before. But it just just wasn't for me. It just bounced off, really. Mm, That's fair. Mm. Talking about games that have bounced off... There's there's one that bounced off of us pretty mm. hard. And it was so disappointing. Mm. And that game is adventure games, the dungeon. There's two. There's uh, this there's, there's two sets. So this this is a this is a spiritual sequel to Exit. Mm. And I think, as both fans of escape room mm. style board games and and the Exit series especially, which we think is very good, and toe-to-toe toe to toe with unlock you mm. know uh i was really excited i was excited because i i played a prototype of this as well yeah. and i think i learned something about myself that i'm either alternatively too forgiving or too punishing when it comes to prototypes because when i was playing the prototype i thought i was having a good time did you
1: play a complete scenario when you played the prototype no,
0: no so we played one third of the no. of of the full puzzle because here's right. the thing so uh, unlike exit this isn't a, this isn't really an escape room game it, it's
1: more like a choose your own adventure
0: it's a point and click adventure yeah because you're it's graphic so you have a yeah. graphic environment and you're interacting with it and much like in unlock there are cards with numbers and you can combine those two numbers together mm. and there are locations on the map uh which is a graphic map so you know like if i'm in a throne room then you know and all the elements in that from the room that I can interact with, they'll be marked with a number yeah. on that map. So let's say I have a scepter and I want to put it down on the throne, and the scepter has the number 27. And let's say the throne is 271, right? Mm-hmm. So I would combine them and put 27271 and.
1: And then I, you look it up in, in the, in the book. book, and
0: either something happens. Or, it doesn't. or that number
1: doesn't exist.
0: Yeah, or that hmm. number doesn't exist, which means that's not a valid combination. But hmm. let's say it does, and then it'll be like you know, oh, you put the scepter down on the front, and suddenly a secret door unlocks. Take card sixty-one or whatever, and yeah. then so you it know. still
1: it does still does have cards that yeah. you lay out as the game progresses.
0: None of this, what I just said, by the way, is a spoiler because I totally made that up. Yeah, my creative juices are properly flowing. I could, I could design one of these right now, Elaine. Sure. All right. But yeah, uh, th- this is basically the entire flow of the game. And the way it's cooperative and you work together and you have a little dinky piece that that you can put on wherever you're going. And this just symbolizes a reminder. And I think one of the things that I immediately bounced off of was that uh, we take turns, right?
1: Yeah, you, in, you, in fact, you have two tiny pieces that represent both of you, or like however many people are playing in the game. And then you take it in turns to move your little piece and do a thing. Um, But yeah, we found we found about halfway through the game. We'd almost forgotten whose turn it was because we were just we just wanted to read the story and progress the story and find out what this was here or that was there. And there were only a couple of times where it mattered who was in what room. Because there's no penalty for being two rooms over from someone else. You can just, like, teleport from one room to the other. You don't have to spend actions or whatever moving from one place to the other. You can just go from one.
0: Which, in, in some way, I understand why they did that. They wanted it to be clean and they wanted it to be pure Oh, no, adventure. I like that. Yeah. yeah.
1: That it's, would be awful. Like, yeah. if you had to spend ages, like... Be- bimbling through oh, I want to do rooms thing. that you'd I already been I I have yeah. to de- go there or whatever. Blur. That would
0: be nonsense. So, so it is purely just... It's not really a game game. It's just a point-and-click adventure yeah. that you're interacting with physically on the table.
1: But it almost could be solo. Like, like it feels like it could almost be... Not cooperative, but you're one character moving around sometimes. Yeah. I don't know. The only thing, the only thing that mattered was uh, that there were different characters, that there were interactions where it mattered which particular character... You were, yeah. You would get and, a different outcome, and right. that was nice. Yeah, that was cool. And
0: actually, there was a lot of one of the good things about adventure games was that there's there's a lot that can happen, and in different ways. And mm. you get multiple endings as mm. well. So you know that, like, mm. you can you can progress through the adventure in a different way. I just felt like I kept being reminded of all the amaz- amazing amazing point and click adventures. I played on PC like The Longest Journey, which is mm. by far my favorite point-and-click adventure, and Siberia, Firewatch, a more modern take on the genre, but definitely one of those, yeah. Uh, and I just thought the story in each and every single one of those is ten times more interesting than what mm. we got in the dungeon. Sorry. It was rote. I it, mean,
1: it was just very um, fantasy.
0: It wasn't even fa- it wasn't particularly interesting fantasy. It was. I mean, you get exactly what it says on the tin. You yeah. get a dungeon, and and not a terribly exciting dungeon. It's no. it's sort of a dungeon. There's things in it that you would expect to find in a dungeon. It's hard to say without you know mm. revealing too many of the game secrets. I wanted we... it
1: to be more like a nightmare-style dungeon where there's different things going on, but
0: yeah, it kind of it
1: kind of wasn't.
0: It wasn't, um, and and I just felt. I felt the writing was a little bit uninspired. And this is hard to say because uh, the designers uh, for this are Matthew Dunstan and Phil mm, Walker-Harding. Yeah. Matthew Dunstan of Elysium fame and Phil Walker-Harding uh, of Baron Park and Sushi Go. So mm. uh, definitely a lot of good designs under Ooh, yeah. their belts. And oh, yeah. uh, I, I spent some lovely time with Matthew Dunstan at a couple of conventions mm. and he, he's a very nice fellow. But, yeah. So it's uh, Personally, it's, it's, I find it a little bit harder to criticize something... By someone (laughs) who I'm a little bit more familiar with. But I just wanted... I really just wanted a better story out of it. And here's the thing. So the big pitch, I think, over Exit is that this is the same size box as Exit. Yeah. And it's the same cost box Mm. as Exit. But you get free parts of the adventure. And each part is 90 minutes. So it's, it's like you're getting free Exit games for the cost of one which was brilliant
1: and that was nice because we kind of did it in chapters so we did one and then came yeah. back to it the next day and, you can and put it away yeah and it's cool. just, you know, and it reminds you where you've got to as well if yeah, you need it
0: and you just meant to put the cars in the ziploc bag like that. And- I,
1: I know you were making a joke about like hey i could design my own hexagon yeah. but and i know that was a joke but what really did work was the 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 way the story interacted with itself. So, although like you said the mm-hmm. story wasn't super interesting, there was never kind of a roadblock where we went, "Hang on, this doesn't work. This doesn't make sense. Like this is a hole." Mm-hmm. Or the the story really did work
0: as a self-contained as a
1: self-contained story. Yeah. 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 And I thought that was really clever cuz that must be really really hard to do.
0: I imagine cuz so. you've got so
1: many different outcomes and you know you go back and you go forward and you know yeah. these side bits and this character you know if this character investigates this happens if this one investigates this happens and you've got all these kind of moving parts so it must be really hard and i thought that worked really really
0: well i think so too but here's here's my problem right because there's three parts to it right mm. and each part is about 90 minutes i found that a lot of that 90 minutes yeah was taken up by reading because you would interact, and then you would read a whole paragraph, right?
1: But that's because, yeah, it was like a choose-your-own-adventure. Or like, well, there are games like that. Yeah. that. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. But I, I th- enjoy that.
0: I think you agree with me, hmm. though, if if I said that there's just not enough to the puzzle element in right. the game.
1: Right, I do agree with you. Right?
0: Yeah. And it, it felt like I wanted, out of, and especially as someone who's used to exit, I wanted to a little bit more puzzle and maybe have those puzzles be a little bit more interesting because if you have mm. played exit or unlock you will find the puzzles very simple yeah. in this game oh and, yeah and the only time <laughs> the only times we got stuck was where we like forgot that we didn't interact with something or the times when we misread something yes right that's and, true. and we were like well we don't know what we're supposed to do and then uh, there's a book of Hints that will effectively let you progress when you're completely stuck, it'll say, You just need to go do this thing yeah. and then you'll be like, I don't have this thing, and yeah. then you'll look up that thing in the hints and it'll say, You need to go do this thing yeah. and then you're like, I don't have that thing either and then you'll you'll find you'll find links and links and links that will eventually draw you a path. Of where you need to go, and the other problem was yeah. was that sometimes the game sort of spoiled it a little bit because you would try a combination, and let's say, fifteen seventy five, right? Yeah. And fifteen is like, I, I there's a, a example in the rule book a, a cat opener, and seventy five is a cat can of food. cat food, yeah. right? And you'll try fifteen seventy five, and let's say it doesn't work. But then right next to it, because it doesn't work because there's no entry for 1575, but right next to where it would be... There's it
1: 1576 or whatever. Yeah, 1576, yeah. Which, is,
0: <laughs> which is a can of dog food, right? And you're, and you're like, like oh. oh, I meant to can- open the can of dog food, right? Yeah, there
1: was that element to it where you accidentally spoil it for yourself because you're looking down a list of numbers and you can't help but see the next number from the one you're looking for sometimes. Um, I don't mind reading a story. Like, if that is part of the game, I'm quite yeah. happy to do that. If the story is engaging right then it's fine but i did find myself sort of almost skip into the end of the paragraph or the sentence to see what the outcome was like i didn't i, I wasn't interested in enough in the flavor bit of what was happening and i was more interested in okay well what does this give me
0: well here's the thing um so we haven't experienced this because it's not out yet because we got an advanced copy mm. but apparently there's going to be the app that reads you all the paragraphs I mean, that's cool Is it, though? Because... I think so. Okay, but you just said to me that you found yourself skipping towards the end, right? Yes. So if you're reading it, right, you can actually skip towards the end. You go, this is fluff, this is fluff. I want to find out the result, (laughs) right? 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 But if you're listening to the app, there's no, like, you know, you just have to listen to the entire thing. Well,
1: maybe, yeah, maybe that was my own flaw then. Maybe I would have engaged in the story more if I'd have actually... Read the story more, that's or if the story or if the was more, more engaging. Also, if you're if you were playing with someone that was like visually impaired, mm-hmm. and the app would read the story to you, that's nice. Like that's cool. Like so, you can say to yeah. them, or the app can say to you, "You're in this room. Mm-hmm. There's this, 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 and this. These are the numbers." I'm
0: I think not saying cool. it's a bad feature, and actually, you know, it's a quality of life feature because sometimes you just don't want to read that much. No. Do you know what I mean? Especially when you are playing yeah. a game, uh, but. I, I, I think one of my biggest bears with Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective is how much reading you have to do, right? Mm. And, and it took me out of the game. But if people are looking for a good kind of choose-your-own-adventure, mm. I would much rather le- recommend Legacy of Dragonhold, I believe it's called, where the writing... And the story and the world that developed was a lot more interesting than what we got in the dungeon. It's I, longer, though. It, it is much longer. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's a more expensive box. Yeah. You know, you get a big box with a lot of narrative. And, um, yeah, I just found it a lot more engaging. It, it was just plain and spartan. And and, and I think that's, that's ultimately the verdict. You know, it mm. has... You have to have a better story because if I'm paying twelve quid and I know twelve quid isn't a lot no. for twelve quid, I can b- go buy longest journey on on good old games or whatever and have a whale of a time.
1: But only if you have a computer. Only if you
0: have a computer. I get. Yeah. Do you know why? A, a lot of a lot of these um, point and click adventures are coming out on the Switch now. I think you can get Siberia on the Switch. I'm well, not then sure. You have
1: to, I don't have a Switch. Yes, you so. do. We share one as a family <laughs> no, <we don't>. unit. <laughs> um. No, but, like, well, what if you want to play it on holiday or something? Like, I don't know. I think yeah. it's, I think you're right. Like, I don't think, it's only £12, right? Mm. So you think, oh, well, I'll I'll try it. But, but is it worth it's your time? Not, no, probably not. Mm. I, I wish the story was better. I think, I, I was really interested in it. And as I said, I don't mind reading something if it's an interesting story. I just wish the story... I know we keep saying this had been had been a little bit better because I thought and it had more puzzles in it and there was kind of more to do in it um, rather than just reading. Um, but some of it was cool. There were there were bits that we were like, ah, yeah, yeah, and that that was really neat. Uh, but I wish it had more of those aha moments.
0: Definitely, definitely. This is such a negative podcast episode. Have we actually got a game that we are excited about? Oh yeah. Good, but first let's talk about black angel <laughs> um, This is going to be a controversial opinion mm. because Black Angel is a darling on mm. on many reviewers lists and and normally we are quite taken with a heavier euro mm. and um I, we we're still in the process we're probably going to do a video on black Angel and we're still in the process of of kind of coming to grips with it but our first initial impressions were not very strong now i played this twice mm. and you've played this once, once yeah. and i just want to say um so black angel is a spiritual sequel to a game called toi and also it uh ha- shares elements with another game by the same designer uh called selenia where selenia basically took elements of the black angel design kind of stripped it down and and offered one part of it. Now, we're not going to be comparing it to those games because it would be unfair based on how much experience we have with those other games. So we're going to be purely talking about Black Angel today. Black Angel is a game about space where you're trying to get to...
1: Space. W-
0: which is a planet in space. And <laughs> the fact that it sounds like the snack version of snake i'm sure is entirely not meant to be funny danger noodle danger noodle yeah. yeah but it's just so emblematic of of the whole theme of black angel so if you're not familiar here's here's the high concept the high pitch of the theme <laughs> right humanity has died dun, dun, dun. and we're meant we're meant to re- be reborn on a different planet, because we, we've wasted our planet, basically. There's no more survival. And and there's no way we can reach that planet, because it's just too far. It's thousands mm. of years of space travel.
1: So, instead of having humans pilot the ship, there are, instead...
0: Robots piloting the ship. And you, you're all... This is a competitive game. You're all competitive artificial intelligences. Mm. And, and the pretext that the rulebook gives for this is that humans are so bad at getting along... They couldn't even decide on one AI. It's different nations built different AIs, and and like they're gonna they're gonna competitively fly this ship to see who
1: can put hum- humanity on this other planet first. Better. Better.
0: Because it's all the same ship. It's it's sure. the one Black Angel. Sure. So so there's there's a lot of things that are that are good about Black Angel, but 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 a lot of what I've just described, it sounds like from a high concept perspective you know ooh but uh, you know and and that's generally the <laughs> <laughs> that's generally the impression i got of the game it's like ooh but ooh oh no, no, oh okay <laughs> and these these are largely the noises i've been making as i've been reading the rule book because it's it's interesting. So what you have is a dice placement game, right? Mm. Instead of instead of what placing workers to do an action, you place dice, and the values on the dice determine how good the action is. So you have dice ranging from zero to three. And I know that sounds confusing on a D6, because that's only four values, but that's fine, because some values Some d- repeat. Yeah, some repeat.
1: That's okay. Yeah,
0: that's fine. And and if you have a zero, you can't do an action with it. With one really convoluted exception mm. that doesn't make any sense if someone's just teaching you the game but it sort of does make sense once you come to grips with it and if you have a free so let's, let's say you put them on an action that lets you um buy technology you have free p- pips worth of technology purchasing so it's it's always uh, directly multiplying the action that you can do mm. by the number of by the number on the dice even though sometimes that multiplication is a little bit obfuscated and i know what i've just said sounds incredibly woolly but i had the pleasure of learning how to play black angel from the rule book mm. and and when i say pleasure elaine i mean torture <laughs> uh and not bad and, and and yeah it's not a good rule book uh it's a rule book that omits certain rules and hides them in examples it's a rule book that sometimes just doesn't explain things at all i have
1: to say when you explained it to me you made it all super clear so. yes
0: that's because i read the rule book twice and watched two playthroughs one from uh richard rado uh who by the way i should say if you want an alternative take on the game you should watch his final thoughts because it's a contender for his game of the year mm. and if, if if you want someone's different perspective that's definitely this definitely worth exploring uh and also one from heavy cardboard who did an excellent job at actually teaching the rules to the game but having said that even after i read the rule book twice and watched those two playthroughs certain things were still not 100 percent clear so i had to go on board game geek and and, and find out how is it exactly that this works and you know sometimes rules like that you know like not rules like that what i mean like rules and missions and rule mm. books like that are fine if the game is a little bit more thematic or like a dungeon crawler where there's a lot of exception based mm. rules here you're working with a tight puzzle tight euro game puzzle and and rules matter you know yeah and when you're not certain how something works then it makes you feel really uncomfortable about the game that you're playing, and. I didn't want to bestow that experience upon others. So when I decided to learn Black Angel, I I thought I'm going to learn it to the best of my ability. And I think I did. I think I managed to figure out from all the resources available, how to actually play the game. But I think that is an indictment if, if there ever was one. Now, having said that, uh, what we have, uh, in terms of aesthetics is sometimes incredibly pleasing. You have, uh, artwork from ian o'toole mm. which is just instead of the darkness of space you get mm. the bright neon lit space mm. you know with bright bright pinks and the purples space and yeah and and you've got nice blues and mm. you know there's a lot of hues but sometimes you have odd colors so of course because it's a euro game you need to differentiate and you need many different colors you have colors like gray green and blue bright yellow Mm. uh which are often relegated towards the dice and cards of the game and sometimes certain tiles to delineate action interactions So colors often mesh in this game within the rules and they say well this color interacts with another piece of that color and so you you have this sort of like visual cue of like okay these two things match together and sometimes that works and sometimes that is juxtaposed within the rules and then you start feeling even more woolly Mm. and and i know i'm not quite explaining how the game works yet but i think it's important sometimes to relay these initial experiences and struggles with a game like that especially with a game that's very popular and is getting a lot of buzz Mm. you know and I, i think it's just a nice word of warning that for some for some people if you struggle with things like that you know you might bounce off of this very very quickly because just how impenetrable the rules are but then sometimes the artwork of the game that really doesn't help and it's incredibly busy the board mm. looks lovely but it is it is incredibly busy and there are a lot of elements and sometimes the iconography doesn't make it clear in terms of how this one thing interacts with this yeah. other thing and you you get very confused i know i know you had some issues with the artwork as well which is unusual because i i think we mentioned this before but Ian O'Toole is I think both of ours mm. favourite board game artists, isn't he?
1: I don't mind if a board is busy, if the artwork on a board is busy, if it denotes different things on that board, so different action spaces, or it gives you clues as to what's happening when you're going to those action spaces. But um, what I found really jarring was the different art styles that were on the board. So the... Um, the space board mm-hmm. uh, was very bright and colourful. And as you said, like neons, blues and yellows. And then the cards themselves were kind of B-movie sci-fi kind of yeah. kind of art. And then there was a third art style on the player boards that was kind of, I don't know, like grungy, gritty sci-fi, like dark. And, Almost cyberpunk, you know, and, yeah, like Blade Runner. Yeah. yeah, like that kind of thing. Um and I, th- I found that quite confusing because my brain didn't necessarily relate one thing to the other thing because yeah. they looked different. In a game that has that many things to look at that tell you how to play the game, I found that confusing.
0: The thing is, the further that we go into the game, the, the more evident that sort of division is between something that's very sleek mm-hmm. and, you know, almost feels like, you know, self-contained. And then at other times, completely juxtaposed and disjointed. Because there's, you mentioned the player boards, right? Right. So there's this whole bit. The way the game works is uh, each turn, your turn comes around, you either do a sequence A or a sequence B, right? Sequence A is the one you want to do because that is where you do actions on the board. And Mm. sequence B is sort of like a reset. reset. Yeah. Yeah. And the objective is to have the most points. But what's happening is there's the whole other space board uh, where you have this really lovely... Plastic model of the Black Angel.
1: Oh, it's really cool. Yeah, Yeah,
0: which does look like an angel if you put it upright, and that's the ship that's traveling through that space board.
1: Yeah, because the board is cut up into different pieces, that each piece moves. So the one that's at the front will move to the back, but the Black Angel will stay in the middle. So it will move forward and stay in the middle. So it will move on to a different tile.
0: Yeah. So it's weird to explain, but what's (laughs) happening visually is that the the tiles that were further away are now closer to the right. Black Angel, even though from a visual perspective, the Black Angel always stays in the middle. In the middle yeah. It's effectively traveling through space. Uh-huh. And, uh, because, and the tile that was at the back will be flipped over to the other side and go to the front. Yeah. And that's kind of like reaching new targets in space. And
1: space will move as well. So eventually black angel that's will reach Bess. yeah the yeah. planet. <laughs>
0: i'm sorry i so, put you <laughs> off
1: <laughs> so yeah eventually black angel will reach Bess, and that that's triggers the end game
0: yeah 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 it does that within itself is very nice and very sleek and very yeah like cohesive right yeah. thematically but the problem is is that when you start your turn sequence a you have this optional part 1 that you can do or mm. don't have to and that's where you inject technology tiles and that's a mini game within itself because
1: you, No you don't inject technology tiles you activate technology tiles Sorry
0: you're right you activate technology mm. tiles but you can through the course of the game, inject those tiles into a three-by-three grid. So there's nine spaces.
1: Inject, meaning that you put a new tile and onto you that grid in and you push, slide it in. Yeah. You push
0: others out and you always activate a row or a column of tiles. Yeah. So based on their position, you will get a whole bunch of bonuses that might be one set of bonuses or not. And once But depending on which card you play, it will only activate
1: certain tiles.
0: Yes, because the cards, like I said, are They're color-coded. Match the color. yeah and and so you have this this is we're we
1: making this sound very complicated <laughs> yeah
0: but this is a but that's that's what, what i'm trying to say there's a whole almost game system within yeah. that whole injecting yeah. tiles thing and then you we get to the action board where we actually get to take actions yeah. uh, and that's a whole you know action selection game onto itself and then sometimes the actions will let you uh, fly around with little dinky robots in yeah. little plastic saucers, <laughs> which are, the robots are plastic pieces and the saucers are plastic pieces, and you can slot them in, and that feels very, very that's satisfying cool, right? because they fit very perfectly. But they'll fly out of the Black Angel, your little robots, and they'll do your business and they'll fly to other planets, and that's a whole mini game on its And they
1: will own like different types of cards,
0: and so those cards, I I love those cards. There's such yeah, an interesting I part like of the too. game because. Uh, what you have is a hand of cards. And at the start of the round, you can commit those cards to activate tiles on that player board thing that I've mentioned. But or alternatively... Or you can
1: save them and yeah. play them onto the the board of space um, and move your little robots onto it. And then they will get something from moving into that, that card. Yeah. And the alternatively... Uh, when the card (laughs) alternatively when the card falls off so when the tiles the row of tiles that the card is on moves to the back flips over and moves to the back and it falls off then you might get something else
0: yeah you have scoring opportunities so for example uh, one of the cards could say uh, when this card falls off you'll score three points per every card of that color that is has already fallen off right Uh so suddenly you have like a spatial puzzle okay if i put this card on this row of tiles and i'll put this card on this row of tiles and this card on this row of tiles finally i'll put the card that will score me points Mm. for all those other cards and hopefully those other cards will combine into some sort of a points element as well so uh there's there's a card that sometimes give you an action. So, for example, there's a card that gives you resources, which are these little right. gems. And when I say resources, that's literally the name for it in the game. The resources. Is it
1: resources? I think yeah, it's okay. resources.
0: Resources are the name for your resources. But, but you yeah. But well. you can have a card that lets you score points by spending those resources. So if you do an action that gets you lots of resources, you get to cycle and get a combo, and it's really cool.
1: But you can't just like place those cards anywhere randomly in in space because it depends what you've rolled on the die as to where you can actually fly your robot to and it depends on the iconography on the tile again to depend on where you can fly your robot to so you you're restricted in that
0: yeah because if you rolled a die that's a gray die and it has a free on it that means your little spaceship will be able to move free spaces but But, if the die is gray you can only fly to a planet that, is, that gray, is gray and then only play a gray card right so it's restrictive but then it wants you to play this other game that's almost semi-cooperative mm-hmm. and here's the thing you can take other players dice and you have to spend a resource and you actually have to give that resource to the yeah. other player and there's almost like echoes of "ooh, so we're interacting and we're bouncing between each other and it's mm. almost like concordia mm. my action affects your action and it kind of evolves the board but but no you
1: just feel like someone is stealing your dice yes exactly
0: because (laughs) it it, it never quite comes together as this sort of bouncy game because as much as it wants to have almost like a living organism within your ship Mm. it it does mostly feel very insular and like you are playing your own game and that's fine
1: because it's a euro because it is a
0: euro game but it is a euro game with aspirations of almost being semi-cooperative Because there are two game end conditions. So one of the end game conditions, as we mentioned, is reaching space. Mm. uh, Which is not space. Uh, And that ends the game. We got to the planet. Humanity is safe. Hooray. Uh, The other end game condition is we run out of Ravager cards. And we haven't even mentioned Ravagers yet. Because there's so many elements to this game. Ravagers are bad cards that, based on where you go to do missions, might invade your ship and make your actions worse via these Ravager cards. and Yeah, they have like
1: a negative value on them. So you might have to discard a card from your hand or something whenever like Whenever you go
0: to do a certain action, because that, that action. card is there. And obviously there's an action that will actually let you clear off those Ravager cards.
1: Mm. So you're doing it for each of you, because it makes the action better again for
0: both of you. But the upside is that those cards are good for activating the first part of the game. Mm. And you can see how... The game almost desperately tries to connect all of the elements of the and game, and it brings together. in that
1: third part because there are cards that you play on space yeah. that say, like, for every Ravager you have in your hand, you get this. Mm, or, mm. oh, there's a technology tile as well that says at the end of the game, if you've got all these Ravager cards, you get this. Right? It,
0: yeah, it's it's a very big mishmash, but
1: it doesn't feel connected. It feels disjointed.
0: Yeah, and I, I think that was that was our um sort of big disappointment with the game because we we enjoyed the interaction with the puzzles i think we enjoyed the cards most b- mm-hmm. uh, being played to the spatial yeah, element of the board I and did, when i spa- but- say spatial i'm making a pun lane uh-huh. because okay. it's in space and it's spatial okay. right okay. oh you're so disappointed you are genuine. That's the
1: bit that I enjoyed the most, yeah. yeah. and I I didn't mind the technology tiles. Either, yeah, but that felt like it was a little game on its own.
0: <laughs> yeah, it does. It just doesn't quite come together. And I so here's the thing, Elaine you've played this once, i played this twice, right? Yeah. There is still an advanced variant that neither of us have tried. So here's the difference, and uh, the audience might not find this very interesting, but I'm going to tell you very quickly. Okay. So here's the difference between the advanced variant, right? Uh, At the end of the turn, when you're meant to draw a card, instead of drawing one card, you draw two cards and get to choose one, right? And... The second part of the advanced variant is that you know those technology tiles that you purchase and yeah. inject into your board. Well, when they come in, they come in with a different side first, and that side has a bonus. I and see. then once you use up that bonus, it'll flip to its normal side and, and work as a technology tile. Yeah, yeah, and and that's largely that, that's it. That's the difference, yeah. right? And I'm I'm not. I wasn't even sure why the advanced or the regular version exists i wanted to play the regular version because i wanted to experience what it's like as a reviewer you know well i'll play the basic game first and then i'll play the advanced game first Mm. and and i honestly don't understand why Why it's advanced why it's advanced Mm. i mean sure there's there's a little bit more thought that goes into which card am i going to select because that's a lot of those cards Mm. kind of I'm using the word cascade too many times in this podcast, but cascade into bonuses, you yeah. know? And if you combine the well together, that's cool, you but know.
1: But I feel like it's complicated enough anyway that it wouldn't matter if there was that tiny extra element of choosing a
0: a card. Well, I I suppose it's a little more satisfying because it lets you engineer But
1: I I just don't feel like even if it was your first game that that would be like a huge make a huge difference to Mm. to how you played it
0: especially because this is the last thing you do on your turn Mm. and you can just say oh well then the next person goes and i'm gonna look at my two cards and choose Mm. what i'm gonna play right it's as simple as that because you're still
1: choosing various things like technology tiles and stuff throughout the game so to have that extra choice i don't think would make it advanced or overly complicated i don't know
0: no yeah so this isn't a verdict on black angel Mm. i think the takeaway that people should have is that we're a little bit flummoxed on why it exists the way it exists and that might be just because the game is rather complicated when we haven't fully come yeah, to grips with it yet
1: maybe. I think I would definitely like another play of it just to see what I didn't maybe understand when mm. we played it the first time and to see if that makes any difference to, to my enjoyment of the game but I, I really did enjoy those cards that you play in space but the technology tile bit i think i just got a little bit lost with so i'm definitely wanting to give it another try
0: and we certainly will because we are going to make a video about it yeah so that's exciting that's yeah i'm
1: looking forward to playing it again though yeah yeah Mm.
0: so that's exciting that's cool and hopefully next time we play it we don't bounce off of it
1: I think you've used the word bounce off too many times in this podcast. Maybe you should bounce off the word bouncing off.
0: Maybe we should bounce off towards the next game that we are bouncing on. I lost it. I completely lost it. Well done. Let's talk about Watergate.
1: Watergate is a game where you are playing as either Nixon or you are playing as the press, the Washington Post. Indeed. Trying to out him.
0: Um, Out him as what, Elaine?
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, I'm really bad at that.
0: This was the second take, blah, this. Blah, blah.
1: <laughs> and uh, we
0: are enjoying ourselves, um, possibly at the expense of our listeners. Yeah, maybe. Uh, blah, I- blah,
1: blah, blah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Watergate. At some point, I'll get there. Watergate is a two-player game only, yeah. and uh, this is our next video review that we're mm. working on. I'm very excited. I-, I don't think you've seen the script yet. That I'm, I'm kind of slowly, slowly penning. And one of the things that I'm touching on is that this is one of the best two-player games I've played, but specifically one of the best two-player-only plays mm. uh, Messed it up. Two-player-only two games that I've played. I mean, we and
1: haven't played that many, though. No, we fair, haven't played so. that many.
0: But my point is that there is a certain psychological element that is absent when you're playing a game with two players, mm. when you know that the scope of the game allows for more players, mm. and I think that psychological element is called intimacy, because when you're in in oh you're smiling now, aren't you? Uh, when you're in a game where you know, like it's it's a, a closed sort of circuit between two people, right? Uh-huh. There's a lot of friction in yeah. that, and and what I mean by friction, I mean emotional friction, you know, yeah. and and I, I think that a good two player only game needs to not only be a great game but it also needs to be a great icebreaker Mm. right and what i think watergate achieves very very well is to be that great icebreaker for certain types of people so one to enjoy a good political head to head yeah good head to head but also good political yarn thematically you Mm. know uh because you're effectively replaying the Watergate scandal, specifically right. the investigation part of it by the Washington Post. And and at any point, you know, like anyone could win. So you could effectively alter history, right?
1: I mean, not really. Yeah, but, yeah. but then
0: you, next time you play, you Groundhog Day back into that yeah. event again. No, oh, that's it weird, again. isn't it? Yeah, that is yeah. weird. But it's really cool. I really like it. And, and I think one of the great strengths of Watergate is that it doesn't come across... As a very strong thematic game, because within itself, it's very simple and abstract. Mm. What you have is an evidence board that looks like, you know, those pins pin with, stri- yeah, like pin- the
1: police have, where they pin up a picture and then they tie it to, you know, a, this piece of evidence or whatever, this letter or something that's happened.
0: Yeah, and they've turned that into an area control game mm. where uh, the objective of the Washington Post player is to uh, tie. Nixon
1: to, to two of the informants.
0: Which are on the outsides with, of the board. Right. And Nixon is...
1: In the middle. Yeah. yeah. So all they have to do is place evidence linking Nixon to this particular informant.
0: And it's cool because you're creating a path. And, and it's, mm. it's a game where, I guess, Nixon, you're trying to put those same evidence tokens but face down where everything's right. redacted with a marker. Yeah, so
1: as Nixon, you're trying to block those those like lines of communication or those links of evidence between yeah. you and...
0: And the informant. And as Nixon, you have an entirely different win condition where you're Mm. trying to collect five momentum tokens. Right. And the way you get any of these is there's like a track that goes from five for Nixon, zero in the middle, and another five for the Washington Post. And Mm. each round, you're going to have... A number of cards, either five or four, based on whether you have initiative or not. And every time your turn comes around, you play a card and you do something. And one of those things could be to move either those evidence tokens back and forth up the track, certain number of of spaces. Or Or the the momentum tokens. Or the uh, initiative tokens. Or the
1: initiative tokens. And and you have a choice because some of the cards have a, a single player only value. So you play it and it's something really... Good happens, you get like, for example, two moves on the momentum track and two moves on the evidence track, uh, and you get to do something else like you get to play an informant or something like this. Um, and then that card goes away forever.
0: That's the coolest part because Mm. you only have a 20-card deck, and the better the event, right? Which is the alternate mode of the card, the better the movement value of the the tokens, yeah. So, and you want to move things on the track because if they end up on your side at the end of the game you get them and you get to place them but do you know what i really like about this design it's it's such a simple touch but such Mm. a good moment is that as the washington post player right you in any other game you would think well i want to move the momentum token away to myself from nixon because that's Mm. nixon's win condition but actually what watergate does and this is really clever is Yes, it is Nixon's win condition, but I have an alternative reason to move those momentum tokens because if I collect them, I'll eventually start triggering events that Mm -hmm. happen uh, that are specific to me as the Washington Post player. And in fact, if I collect five of those and there are only nine of them, right? Yeah. Number fifth would actually cause impeachment, which isn't the end game condition of the game. So I'm going to blow your mind, Elaine, right? Within the scope of the game, of this game, Uh right if we apply this game to what happened in history Uh do you think Nixon wins or the Washington Post wins
1: the Washington Post
0: okay well my argument actually is the way that the game interprets history yeah is actually the Nixon that's won and this is the peculiar bit right and I know I'm I'm getting very sort of meta right Uh now I'm apologizing to our audience but if you collect five uh momentum tokens as right. the Washington Post and there are only nine available and Nixon's win condition is to collect five momentum tokens right theoretically Nixon should win. lose right? right he can't win except he can he because there's yeah. a speci- special rule in the game that says um, if the Washington Post collects five tokens Nixon can still win if he collects the other four mm. right and if you look back into history and mm. what happened was Nixon did get impeached mm. but uh his vice president, which I think is Gerald Ford, if I remember correctly, pardoned Nixon mm-hmm. after his impeachment mm-hmm. and he never went to jail. Mm. So my argument is that within the scope of the game, that's what actually happened. Nixon won.
1: Mm. I see. Yeah. Right. Because Even though he- the Washington Post had everything on him and... You know, they should have come out on top. He's yeah. still Yeah, and he's still I think won. what
0: I love Watergate for is that it allows for that to be an actual thing that happens mm. in the game. But I completely sidetracked myself because my <laughs> initial point mm. was that, as the Washington Post, you want to collect these momentum tokens because they're an alternatively good thing <laughs> for you. So you're... By taking them to your side you're not only preventing Nixon from winning but yeah you're...
1: they do something else yeah. as well and it's yeah. the same
0: for the evidence tokens uh-huh. because the Washington Post wants to collect evidence uh-huh. tokens and put them on that pin board right right to trace a path right. but if Nixon gets them he gets to put them face down effectively creating a blocked area yeah. a blocked pathway and the Washington Post player now has to wander around that path and yeah. create different strings of evidence
1: well I thought it was really neat uh, there are cards which will let you flip an informant so so if you know, you're Nixon and they're already given evidence against you, I don't know, you're paying them off or something. and yeah. So you're flipping them over so they're no longer a viable option and they, they block that line of, of evidence. And I think that, that was really neat. And I sort of really like the flavour text on the card. It's mm. not really flavour text. It's a bit of history, yeah. of historical information. And it tells you who the informant is. And it so fits in with mm-hmm. like, what they what you're trying to do and what they're doing. Like, I really like that
0: part. Strangely, I think I would like to... And th- these games are not at all alike, but I would like to compare Watergate to Inish because I think the design is as okay. good as Inish. Yeah. Right? And the different games. But the one bit of DNA that they share yeah. is that they're both take-that games yeah. that are good take-that yes, games. So if the audience is not familiar with take that as a uh, genre it's very simple if you ever played munchkin or card games like that whereas i play a thing and it does a thing and now your fingers oh me no it doesn't it. oh no it doesn't you know it's it's that
1: there are elements of that in it oh, for very sure. strong elements mm. because
0: as you said you know as the mm. washington post player i could be working very hard and very diligently to, to trace this path and all nixon needs to do is play one card yeah. and that path of information is entirely closed because that mm. informant is no longer available as an mm. informant but Nothing in this game is static. it's always dynamic because it doesn't mean it's final the Washington no, Post because it player, could happen
1: again. The Washington yeah. Post player could equally take that closed informant off the board again and then play it as an informant again like yeah it's yeah, it, it's, it's a tug of war between the two.
0: Well, uh, th- one of the scenes I'm hoping uh, we get to pull off in the video is mm. that I, I like to compare it as, as a tug of war game, but f- with three ropes, right? Mm-hmm. Because you have the evidence tokens mm-hmm. that you're pulling on one side uh-huh. to the other. You have the momentum token and you have the initiative token, yeah. right? So they're all three ropes and, and there's actually three evidence tokens. So technically there's five ropes, right? You can't pull every single rope. At the same time, towards your direction. Because let's say I'm holding two ropes with one hand and three ropes with another. Yeah. So you're going
1: to be able to pull some better than others. Yeah. But which ones do you pull?
0: The person on the other side can just take two ropes with both hands and tug them really hard and I'll lose control. Yeah. Right? So I don't know. I'm just, I'm in love with this game.
1: We haven't even mentioned really why initiative is so important in this game. Like, because Uh. you think, oh, well, I'd, I'll just go second. What What is it going to matter? But um, if you have the initiative, you get to draw five cards, whereas the other player only gets to draw four. And, that's and that, that really makes a difference. But it also means that you're not only going first, you're also going last. You're going before them and after them. So you can react to what they're doing as well as putting something out strongly to begin with.
0: And here's the cool little touch of design that I just love, because it clearly shows how well thought out this game is. If you have initiative, that's great but if the initiative token doesn't land on your side of the board again on the track then you will lose initiative so you even though you have initiative you always have to keep pulling mm, it back towards yeah. yourself if you want to retain it yeah. it's not just like oh I have initiative and now I have to make the other player work for it mm, no no, no. it have... will swap if you yeah. don't
1: if you don't do anything so
0: it's, it's these little touches that make it really well thought out and of course the fact we haven't even talked that well I've I think I've said this twice, that mm. we haven't even find, like discussed mm-hmm. that once you play an event, it's gone from your deck. Yeah. And because it's a 20-card deck, you really need to kind of think about what events are worth playing. Because, sure, you might want to play some... Because movement values of the tokens are different on different cards, but the strength of the events are different as well. So if you can move a token four spaces towards your side, that's really good. Mm. Right. So
1: do you want to use it for that one-off ability to do something? It better be good what you're trying to do. Yeah. It better give you a result if you're going to spend that, that four movement to do mm. something as a one-off.
0: So. It's like a deck deconstruction mm. game, effectively, mm. where you're trying to figure out, like, ah, oh, do I can I lose this card, mm. or do I want to keep it in the circulation? Right. Th- plus,
1: they're all different colors. There's three different colors in the game. So, mm. if you if you spend all your yellow cards, for example, on mm. on uh, one-off events, then you no longer have a yellow card to be able to move the evidence token, because the evidence token you can only move if you have a card of that color.
0: And there's that nice slide of hand with the Nixon player where uh, each time uh, a new round starts, you put out free evidence tokens yeah. on the track, but the Nixon player puts them face down and you don't know what color they are. Uh, but right, you can Nixon, always, does. Yeah, Nixon, Nixon does. Nixon looks at them. Yeah. He, he
1: sees what evidence is going against him, right? Yeah, and to the begin
0: Post with. player is looking at the hand of cards going, well, I can move green, I can move blue, and mm. I can move yellow. But I don't even know if like yellow is available, so mm. I have to play the yellow card <laughs> and go... Is yellow available? And the Nixon goes goes, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and that's fine because you can still move the momentum token. You yeah. can still move the initiative you token. Um, so th- it's not like you're stuffed over. You just want to make sure that right. what you're doing is relevant. And there are different ways to play around it because you can always play an event that says, hey, like flip some tokens over, you know, mm. uh, it's so there's always or options.
1: even put a new one face up on the board. Like there is that yeah. as well um yeah
0: well well, that's the great thing because the the sort of movement between the you know tugging the ropes Uh part of the Uh game is so very um simple and and almost i don't want to say static but the it's very deterministic and very very plain right Right. whereas the event side of the cards you go oh my god these are mad (laughs) and and that's the icebreaker part of the game because not only is it thematic you know, in terms of history. And the rule book does a great job at explaining if you don't know how Watergate played out, well, I mean, worst thing you can do is you can watch all the president's men. But, you know, <laughs> if you don't want to do that, it'll give you some backstory in terms mm. of what's going on. Mm. And I think I think a lot of people who will be interested in Watergate will be familiar with the scandal to begin with.
1: Mm. It, feels, it feels to me like you said that one part feels very kind of, not static, but plane yeah and the other part is bonkers it's like you know like a cuckoo clock or something where the, the these bits are working in motion together back and forth back and forth back and forth all the time
0: yeah and, suddenly and then suddenly f- whoop! whoop <laughs> oh, yeah, like <laughs> this right yeah. you go
1: wow okay i wasn't expecting that but if yeah. if you don't move these parts back and forth then this isn't going to work out for you either so mm-hmm. you have to keep your eye on both yeah. to make to make the game work for you like I much preferred playing as Nixon Mm -hmm. to playing as the Washington Post I was awful at the Washington Post (laughs) I've only played it once as the Washington Post but um, it was like I found it much more fun to play as Nixon Mm. seeing those evidence tokens and like knowing where that they were going to go if you won them and knowing which ones I needed to pull towards me so that I could block off your path
0: yeah I I, I really enjoy playing as both because there's a nice element with Nixon where you're kind of trying to control the flow of information Uh it's almost it's almost like a flood you know you can't contain it Uh right but you know which side are you going to plug the holes you know Uh are you going to try and eliminate the informants or just block a specific informant off or you know are you going to surround yourself with an impenetrable wall of blocked evidence Uh yeah every time i played it i just found more scope to it. Yeah. And it's so simple. It's so joyous to play. I can't wait to make a video on it so people can see for themselves just just how much fun this game is.
1: Mm, it really is joyous. That's a good word. Yeah. yeah. Everything is you. Yeah. Everything that you're doing is down to you. That part felt deeply engrossing for mm, me. I, like I was Nixon at that point <laughs> going, oh, oh no, this, this informant is really getting on my case. Like I really have to block this person from... From doing what they want to do. Tricky deal. How can I do that? Tricky dick. Um Yeah, and even as the Washington Post, actually, like, because, okay, so this is blocked, this is blocked, block, but how can I get around that? How can I send out, you know, this informant, or, or what can I do here? How can I move the momentum so that I can do extra things? Um, yeah, it was, yeah, really engrossing.
0: That's Watergate to everyone who's listening. If you haven't gotten your hands on it, I think you should before a video goes out. Who knows? We'll maybe we'll make a splash and this game will fly off the shelves because it should. I mm. think it is exciting. I see that the puppy has woken up. She so maybe has. This is a sign that we should wrap up this podcast.
1: Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed listening to us waffle on about five different games this time.
0: I, I think that was a nice treat. Uh, <laughs> quickly, before we run away with the puppy, you should... If, if you just found this podcast and listening to us and, and going, what is this about? You know, what's going on? What are board games? We think that too. Yeah, nice we to think done. that too. But we also have a YouTube channel. We can you can find out a lot more about board games. It's called No Pun Included. If you punch that into Google, you will find it. And we make, I dare I say, some excellent videos and you should check them out. We have... A very cool review of Letter Jam, which is slightly overlooked because whenever you review a party game, party games don't get as many hits. Go find that video, Letter Jam, no pun included i've put a lot of work into it and i think it's pretty great and i think it's pretty great at actually explaining that game because it's a game that's hard to explain if you want a definitive resource on hey what is ladder jam how does this work this is a little weird well do you know what watch a video and you will find out i will guarantee that
1: and if you are listening to this podcast on our website please do leave us a comment
0: absolutely we have a website it's no pun included dot com, and the podcast bit is noponincluded.com slash podcast. And if you go on there, you'll find this podcast and you will be able to leave a comment and maybe find some other comments and engage with and other maybe folks make a friend. Who are listening. Wouldn't that be nice? And with that, why don't you say goodbye, Elaine? Goodbye, Elaine. Goodbye, Elaine.